about $500 down from where we needed to be to support the nearly uh, 43 missionaries that we have been supporting. But by the time of the end of the service that evening, we were above what we needed, enough that we believe we'll be able to support a few more missionaries. Now, to know the specifics, you had to come back tonight. I'm giving you the general, the general today, but if you'd like to know the exact amount that we've raised and, and, and a lot more details, and of course, uh, we don't have a whole lot of business meetings, praise the Lord, but the, we do, the ones that we do are important, informative, and um, they're needed because they give you as the church where we, idea where we are uh, financially and how God has blessed the church and what we're planning on doing. We have some projects we're planning on doing, and that will give you an opportunity to come as members to vote on those things and to pray about future things that we're thinking about. So I encourage you strongly to come tonight. I know it will be a blessing to you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Colossians this morning. The book of Colossians chapter 1 as we work our way through this wonderful book that Paul wrote while he was in Rome under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 this morning. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul writes, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible, invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, and by, and by, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind, by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of this his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, un and unreprovable in his sight. Oh, Father, we thank you for this, for your wonderful word, how precious it is. We thank you for the promises that are therein. We thank you, God, that you have given us this for each one of us especially who know you, but for the whole world that may understand you. Oh, you could have written it in the sky, but you didn't. You could have written it on the sands of the sea, but you didn't. You had in your mind from the very beginning to have your word written out so that we as your people and the whole world could understand it and read it and have it with us every day, how powerful it is, how precious it is. Oh, I pray, Lord, as we Proclaim as I proclaim your word this morning, I preach your word this morning, that, Father, through thy Holy Spirit, thy blessed Spirit, that you would take it and use it and do what I cannot do, speak to the hearts of people. There may be some here who know, not, who, who know you not. There may be some who are struggling in some area of life, spiritually, financially, emotionally. Lord, take your word and use it as a bomb, as a rebuke, as a challenge, as a help. Whatever needs to be done, may you use your, your blessed book to help us who know you and to be an eye-opener for those who do not know you so they would know the truth before it's too late. 
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over 100 years ago, actually 110 years ago, in 1893, there was a famous World Columbian Exposition. I never heard about it until I read about it this past week. It was held in Chicago. It was the astronomical people who, who went to this event. It was before the time of the automobile, and actually 21 million people came to this event in Chicago. Chicago, of course, had had a devastating fire 20 years earlier in 1873, but was now like a phoenix rising from the ashes, showing off to the whole world all of its splendor. People came from all over. And because people came from all over, those who were religious decided to have, in the midst of this, the World Parliament of Religions, in which representatives from all the world religions would come together to meet, to share the best points, and perhaps come up with some new world religion. Of course, one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived, lived in that big city. His name was D.O. Moody. And he believed this was a great opportunity for him to evangelize those who are lost in Chicago. So he gathered a committee of folks and a group of people, and he found, he'd established preaching posts throughout the city. He would use churches. He would use theaters. He even rented out uh, circuses so that people would come and hear the greatest news of the universe, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of his friends around him said, you ought to attack this world parliament of religions. You ought to focus your preaching on them. And he said, I will not. But instead, I'm going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men will turn to him. Dear friends, in life, there might be many things that we, what we go through and many focuses. Oh, when you're young, you may think that life is all about uh, love. Oh, what a splendor thing it is. Then maybe after that, you might think, well, you know, I got to work. <laughs> and then it's about family and kids, and all of those are very important. Then come towards the end of your life, you might, your life might be about memories and the friends you've made and the family you've had. But if you boil life down to one, one subject, if you boil life down to one person, that would be Jesus Christ. Friends, it's all about Jesus. Why are we here today? Oh, we've come to fellowship and how wonderful a fellowship it is. We've come, some of you came for the food. You've eaten, eaten some and you're, taking, you're putting it in your cars and that's wonderful too. Some of you have given your time and your talent and your treasure this morning and praise God for it. We've sang and rejoiced and worshiped. But, dear friends, it's all about Jesus this morning. The reason why we're here at North Gainesville Baptist Church on this day in October is because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what he is doing for us and what he will do for us. I say to you, it's all about Jesus. And Paul comes to this place in this wonderful letter that he wrote to the church under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this church of Colossae. And he's given a, a wondrous greeting, a salutation to these folks as he greets them. He, he's given a time of praise for their, their faithfulness and for their work and, their, and all that they've done. And he's given a time of, of, of thanks and, 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 now, and prayers. We mentioned last week the importance of prayer. But now he comes to the grandest subject 
of course, is Jesus Christ himself in verse 15. What can we learn more about Jesus today? What can we learn more about Jesus today? First of all, we see his power in creation in verses 15 through 17. We see his power in creation. It says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him are all things created. The Greek word here, translated image, is the word echion, which means we derive our English word icon. We've seen people who are iconic. We've seen uh, maybe there'll be films that are iconic or, or uh, things that people do that may be iconic. But the idea here is an image or representation. However, the meaning goes much beyond this because it talks about, it carries the idea of revealing the personal character of God, a representation of him, but the revelation of what God is really like. Oh, how wonderful it is. The writer of Hebrews wrote, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The word translated express representation means to impress, left by a die on a coin or a seal or a wax. He exact, he's the exact imp, impression of the essence of God. Not only is the exact image representation of God, God is the firstborn of all creation. Of course, we know that he was born earthly in the town of Bethlehem. We're getting ready to celebrate that. In fact, folks are already celebrating that if you go to the stores nowadays. But it doesn't just mean firstborn because we know that he really never had a beginning and he will never have an end. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. Most of all, they ignore the, the Jehovah Witness who preached that actually Christ was a, a born person equal to others. They teach in this idea of Gnosticism, which is a false teaching, which, of course, the Church of Colossae was involved in. They believed that he was just the, the firstborn of many. He was just one of many gods, but God is the God. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 89, verse 27, also will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of earth. So the idea of firstborn isn't talking about the actual per first person in a family, but the highest in rank. Christ, Christ himself is the highest for he is the creator, for by him were all things that are in heaven created. All things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And how did he create? What did he take from? We believe the Bible teaches us in the book of Genesis, he created ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. He didn't need any other substance. He didn't need someone else's work. He created out of nothing. If you were to create, if you were to make something, you would take something, you would go down to Lowe's or Home Depot or Ace or somewhere else, and you would take something to make something. But God himself, with the Holy Spirit, who is God, with Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who is God, created out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So he is the great creator. Christ created us all. We're all well aware of that. That implies that we, we think of the universe and the millions of, millions of lights that are out there, the millions of stars and galaxies that are out there. But even in this earth, there are 800,000 cataloged insects, Brother Tiny. 800,000, and you figured out one of them yourself. All of these, many species, but yet Christ is a creator of them all. He is a creator of all. 
Christ is not the creator of creation. He's also the end goal. All things were created by him, and not only that, for him. Paul was teaching about Christ as the goal of all creation. Finds no parallel in the Jewish wisdom literature or in the rest of the, the Jewish materials for that matter. Since this is true, we should leave completely for him. If he is the creator of all, and it's all for him, we should live all for him. As we read in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, for he said, for, for of him and through him and, and, and to him are all things and, to, and to, uh, to whom be glory forever. Amen. It says, not only here in this scripture that we read, are all things created by him, all things consist by him. And all things are before, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And we read again in Romans chapter 1 and verse 3, who being in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Physicists tell us that among the atoms whirling protons and electrons, there's a vast space unlike our solar system, that so have theories, have had theories that the atom, why the atoms hold together, but none know for sure. And I believe as we read and Brother Pete read in, in Sunday school class about the time after the end of the millennium with this, this, this sphere we call earth will someday be destroyed in fervent heat. I believe my theory, my idea is he's going to say, let loose. And all the atoms that are brought together will be let loose. And this earth, which we called home, will be destroyed. And the Bible tells us in that next verse, in 2 Peter, we'll have a new heaven. And we'll have a new earth and new heavens. How wonderful that will be. How wonderful that is. There's a medieval painting which shows Christ in the clouds and below him the world of humans and nature. From Christ to every object is painted a thin gold thread. The artist was saying that Christ is responsible for sustaining the existence of every created thing. I see his blood upon the, upon the rose. And in the stars, the glory of his eyes. His body gleams with eternal snows. His tears fall from the skies. I see his face in every flower. The thunder and the singing of the birds and are but his voice and are carven by his power. Rocks are, are his written words. All pass by his feet are worn. His strong heart stirs the ever-beating sea. His crown of thorns is twined with every thorn. His cross is every tree. It was created all for him. It was created all by him. Oh, some years ago in South America, there was a company that purchased a printing press from a firm in the United States. And after some time, after it had been shipped and delivered to them, they tried to work on this printing press. The smartest among them got together with this printing press and tried to work on it, did everything he could, looked at manuals, asked other people around him in profession, but he could not figure it out. Finally, they called back to America and send someone, send some information so we might figure out this printing press. So this young American man came and arrived there in South America. But the South American officials were skeptical. The young man was obviously, as they say, wet behind the years. After some discussion... They sent a cable back to the manufacturer saying, your man is too young. Send a more experienced person. The reply came back. He made the machine. He fixed it. He can fix it. Dear friend, there's nothing that God can't fix. He is the answer. You say, I got questions. I don't understand. All I know is he is the answer. 
For he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the answer. We see his power of creation, but we have to see much more. In verses 18 and 19, we see the position of the church, the head of the church. He is the head of the body, the church. When we become baptized believers, we become part of the body. Yes, this local, independent, fundamental, red-faced Baptist preaching, preacher, bald-headed guy, preaching, play church. Yes, it's part of this, but it's much more than this church. So if you leave this church, you can fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. I fellowship with them in Mexico. I fellowship with them in Canada. I fellowship with them in Bolivia. I fellowship with them in Brazil. I fellowship with them in Israel. There's other believers all over the world. Some of them are having services. Some are having, going about to have services. But they're all over the world. We're not just one little small group of people here in, in, in the north part of Gainesville. Believers in Christ who know him, believe in him, and trust him all over, all over the world. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, For by one spirit we're all baptized in one body, whether it be Jews or Gentiles, whether it be bond or free, and have been all made to drink in one spirit. Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, we, so we being made are one body in Christ and everyone members of one another. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body. So who is our leader? Say, it's you. No, I'm, just, I'm simply an under shepherd. He's the head. Where I get my marching orders from him where I get my guidance from him who sustains us, who helps us, who guides us, who directs us. It's him. It's him. We see the head of the church, the hierarchy of the church, who is beginning the firstborn from the dead. From the dead. And in all things he might have the preeminence. Again, the idea of firstborn being he is the first in position. He's the first position. That in everything he might have the preeminence. He is above all. He is first. There's no need to have a parliament of religions. There need no need to discuss some new world religion. We have everything that we need contained in the word of God. There needs not be some other word of knowledge. There needs not to be some other prophecy. We have it all right here within the word of God. That's why he must be first. He must be first place in our families. We must be first place in our marriage, the first in our professions, the first in our mission, the first in our intellect, the first in our time, the first in our love, the first in our conversation, the first in our pleasures, the first in our play, the first in our athletics, the first in what we watch, the first in fine arts, the first in music, the first in worship. We must give him first place. It's not a number, one, two, three, four, five. Dear friend, he's everything. That's why the Lord said when he was questioned, what is the most important commandment? He replied, thou must love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. What do I do, preacher? How do I live? Love the Lord with everything you have. Starting today, and you put God first, thank God you put him today. But put him first tomorrow for Christianity. It's not just Sunday morning where we wear our Sunday best and we go home and they live like pagans. It's not just Christianity here. It's in our house. Is your house by the grace of God and everything you do in your house to the glory of God? I said, preacher, if you came to my house, you might not think so. Well, how about changing it? Not next year, today. How about my car? 
You say, we're a preacher, man. Now you're starting to, you're not, you've gone from preaching now to, you're doing meddling now. Well, if, if, if Christ is first in everything, shouldn't we try to clean our car? That'd be nice. And our house be nice. And our habits be nice. And everything we do and say should not be to the glory of God. Doesn't the Bible say in the book of Corinthians, whether we eat, drink, or whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God. And if there be an area of, of our life that's not to the glory of God, may we say, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to do that. And dear friend, that's, that, that's a process called, it's a process called sanctification. Thank God I'm not what I used to be. I'm different now. It's a process of spiritual growth. When I first got saved, man, I was struggling, struggling in so many areas. What I watched, what I listened to, hung, where I hung out. But as I went to church, as I read the Bible, as I studied the scriptures, and I replaced the bad with the good. And dear friend, there has to be a process of replacing the bad with the good. Because if you don't replace the bad with the good, you always go back to the bad. I began to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and, and my life became different. And you say, well, that's just you. No, dear friend, that's God's plan for everyone. To what, to what end? So that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You see, preacher, that's perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. He said, I'll never get there, and neither will I. But someday we will. See, it's salvation first, which is something that happened in the past. You're saved by grace, or by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you're growing in Christ. That's your sanctification. That's your daily walk. Sometimes it's three or four steps forward. Sometimes it's a couple steps back. But ultimately, it will be for your glorification. When he comes back, and we believe the rapture of the church, and we who are alive and remain, shall meet him in the air. And forever we will be with him. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. And that day could be today. Well, that day could be today. We see his power of creation, his position in the church, but thirdly, his propitiation on the cross. Look at verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. Oh, thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son that cleanses us from all sin. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I love the passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 18, for as much as you know, you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. You say, preacher, all the gold in the world could not save, my, for my, save me from my sin. Not all the gold. What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? No, silver and gold are just corruptible things. One day we will be walking on streets of gold. They're nothing. They're nothing. For as much as you know, you're not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation or lifestyle received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. So we have peace on the peace because of the cross, because of what Christ has done on the cross and shedding his blood. But we have purpose because of the cross, let her be, by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. First, we see in that first part the redemption we have in Christ Jesus. But secondly, the reconciliation. There was two groups of people who were at war. 
that was God in ourselves because of our sin. Christ came to reconcile us, to bring the two parties back together again. And it's only through Christ who is, who was, who will always be the God-man, the spotless Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. It's ultimately his goal that we be reconciled him. You say, just a few people? No. Just Americans? No. The all world to every person. God wants all people to be saved. Oh, we're in a fix in this world today. The Bible rightly describes this world in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of whom who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. Look around you. Look in the eyes of people that you see in the stores, in the places that you go. You see sorrow. You see pain. You see woe. Why? Because they're under the burden of sin. They're under the curse of sin. This world to them is the closest to heaven that they will ever see. But for us who know him, this is the closest to hell we'll ever be in. Oh, how sad it is. That's why we sing at Christmas time, no more let the sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Christmas, Christ with us, brings hope, brings joy, brings peace, and someday he will make all things new. Yes, he has power in creation. Yes, his position in the church. Thirdly, his his propitiation on the cross and what he's done for us. But finally, this morning, his presentation of the Christian. Look at the verse 21. Our alienation, first of all, without Christ. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Your friends, that's who we all were. Nobody, nobody is born saints. If you forgive my English, we're all born ain'ts. None of us were born because, none of us are saved because of our birth order, because of who our parents were, because they were Baptists or Methodists or Lutherans or Catholics. No one is saved because of your nobility. Nobody is saved, as I mentioned, because of your money. Nobody is saved because of a good work. Because you came to church today or you got baptized in a baptismal pool. No one is saved because you shared the good word. No one is saved because you gave up your life insurance policy and you put it in the plate. No one is saved because of that. No. We're alienated because we were enemies in our mind and by our wicked works. The great 17th century Christian woman, encourager of God's servants, Lady Huntington, invited one of her friends, the Duchess of Bunningham, to hear the great preacher, George Whitfield, preach. She received this reply, it's a mon- It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiment so much as variance with high rank and good breeding. Oh, that's what's wrong with the world. You see, friend, before anyone could ever get saved, they have to recognize the fact that they're a sinner on their way to a devil's hell forever and ever and ever. 
If somehow, some way you think, well, God, God would never send me to hell. You're right. He would never send you to hell. It's our sin that separates us from a loving God and causes us to go to hell. Dear friend, it's not God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us. He so loves us. He gave us his most prized possession, which is his own son. His own son. He loves us so much. Because of our salvation, we see, secondly, our acceptability in Christ to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. You say, what happened? He said, we were before Christ alienated enemies in our minds by our wicked works. That's who we were before Christ. But now in Christ, he's going to present us to God, holy. You said, I, I don't feel holy. It doesn't make a difference how you feel. It's what you are. Because in Christ, you are holy. In Christ, you are unblameable. Positionally, in Christ, there's no condemnation in you. There's no sin in you because you've been covered by the blood of not just some animal, not just some sheep, not just some goat, not just some pigeon, but by the precious blood of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ himself. Presents you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. That God will someday present us to his the Son will someday present us to his Father perfect. Perfect. You say, no, practically speaking, preacher, I know I'm not perfect. And you would, I would say amen and amen and amen to that. We're sinners saved by grace. But even after salvation, all of us know practically, get married and live in that way for about two days and you realize you're a sinner. Man, I got no amens out of that. Some of you guys should have said amen about that. You've been married much longer than two days. It didn't take long after you were married to have that first row. Maybe like five hours after you said, I do. You start to think to yourself, maybe I didn't. <laughs> you got called everything. Well, never one. That's a different subject. But you know you're a sinner. You know you're a sinner. We all still, still, still sin. But the sin that we commit now, even though we commit it, we still have a relationship with our Father. We have to have a relationship with his dear son. We still have a relationship with the spirit. But that fellowship might be broken because of our sin. And that's when we go to him <laughs> many times a day. Like sometimes in the middle of the summer, we work outside, have to, have to go to take a shower many times a day. We have to go sometimes many back times a day to our loved one, to our son, to our daughter, to our wife, and ask forgiveness and go to the Father and say, I confess my sin. I was wrong in what I said. I was wrong in what I thought. I was wrong in what I did. But ultimately, he will present us holy, unblameable, and unprovable in his sight. The great reformer Martin Luther used a simple analogy to explain it. He described the condition of a patient who was mortally ill. The doctor proclaimed that he had medicine that would surely cure the man. The instant the medicine was administered, the doctor declared the patient well. At that instant, the patient was still sick. But as soon as the medicine passed his lips and entered into the body of the patient, he began to get well. So it is with our reconciliation and justification. As soon as we believe, the moment that we recognize that we are sinners impossible of saving ourselves, 
and in repentance be willing to turn from our sin and in turning place our whole weight of trust on a person, Jesus Christ alone, who died for our sins. That very second, faster than any medicine that's ever been administered to any sick person, at that very second, we are saved. We are born again. We are reconciled. We are redeemed. And nothing, no one, no problem, no pain, no difficulty, no hardship can ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. Oh, what a wonderful Lord. We don't need to collaborate a bunch of, around a, a bunch of folks to, to, to have some new religion. Dear friend, it's all contained in His Holy Word. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We worship and pray through Jesus Christ, ultimately to our Father God. We have it all because we worship him who is all. That's Jesus Christ. Dear friend, how lovely Jesus is. How wonderful Jesus is. How can we not tell other people about Jesus? Yesterday I was on visitation. My wife's foot wasn't doing so well, so I said, well, find us an compart- apartment complex and didn't have to walk down the street to go to the next door to knock on their door. We went down to apartment complex off of 43rd, and man, I had more conversations. I got to witness to two people, fully give them the gospel. I had people encouraged, wanting to know. Folks, people are concerned about what's going on in the world. They're thinking World War III. Could be. We've had two. We could have another one. They're thinking this might be the end. We got to the next to the last person we talked to, this dear lady. We opened the door. I started sharing the gospel with this lady. She was a former Catholic, Brother Pete. So I was explaining what the Bible says and trying to share with her everything that we believe according to what the Word of God says. I was talking about needing to be saved, and all of a sudden she broke down and started crying. I thought to myself, what have I done now? What have I done now? What have I said now? And she said, our world's in a mess. We need God. We need faith. Our world's in a mess. She's been in there listening to the news. She's been listening to the news. And the news isn't too good. (laughs) Everything looks sad, bad, and I'm going to tell you, it's going to get worse. Read the end of the book. It tells you. It tells you. It's going to get worse. But dear friend, I didn't just stand there and say, ma'am, I have no hope for you. Ma'am, I'm telling you here, I have no help for you. I I didn't give her some remedy that was false. I told her you can be saved by the blood of the crucified one. I told her there's hope. And she had all types of questions. She wouldn't know about the millennium. She wouldn't know about she wouldn't know about the tribulation. She wouldn't know about Jerusalem. And she had for 20 minutes. And most of the time when I go to the door, I'm knocking on it. They're telling me to get out. <laughs> it was refreshing when someone wanted to know more about Jesus. I probably could stay there for hours and hours. I, I wanted to, but I had to go on. I had to go on. But dear friend, I'm saying all that to say, if there's ever a time to tell something about, about Jesus, now's the time. Now's the time. None of us knows the 
day, the hour when he's going to return. None of us know that. Foolish even to speculate. Because we've had wars and rumors of wars different. Now they are different now than they were before. And someday we're going to go over that. Why they're different now than they were before. But now is the time to talk about Jesus. Now is the time to talk to your loved ones as we enter in this holiday season. As we get ready in a few weeks to have Thanksgiving, you're going to have folks over and you're going to go spend time with folks. And you're going to have the opportunity to talk to that, that, that nephew, that, that uncle, that brother-in-law, that cousin, that aunt, whoever it may be. You're going to have opportunity like you usually don't have opportunity after you've eaten the, oh, you've eaten all that stuff. And you're sitting there and you're watching your team get beat again, as I did yesterday. And after all that's over, you can tell them something's a whole lot more important than that game. Something's a whole lot more important than that turkey. Something's a lot more, more important than even that mashed potatoes and the macaroni and cheese. Always getting to supper time, lunch. Something's more important than that. That's your Christianity. That's your faith in Christ. Oh, dear friend, I hope you take the time this holiday season to not focus so much on the food. To not focus so much on the festivities. Not, not focus so much on what you're going to get or what you're going to give. But may this season really just be about Jesus. And what he means to you personally. And from the overflow of what he means to you personally. Share with others what he's done in your life. What he's doing in your life. And what he will do in your life. Tell people about Jesus, for it's all about Jesus.